If you were here last week, uh, we were in Matthew chapter 7, and we looked at some, some difficult verses, some challenging verses from the words of our Savior. He talked about taking the narrow path, and, and he called out those who would proclaim to him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and this and this in your name? And at the end of the day, he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. People who were relying on, on, on a on their works or maybe their actions or a profession of faith rather than simply trusting in Jesus as their Savior. And uh, they're sobering words. We need to remember that it's not, uh, it's not our job to somehow uh, save ourselves and it's not our job to keep ourselves safe. It's, it's God who does that. And I was last night I was driving and I the words of the book of Jude came to mind. It's not a book we go to very often. In fact, if you're the kind of person who likes a little trivia, it's the least pre preached book in the New Testament, in case that ever comes up on Jeopardy sometime. And, um, and I just thought about how Jude starts out. And he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Listen to this. He says, to the called, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. There's so much theology in that one verse. Beloved by God the Father. If you're his child, that's you. You are beloved. And you are kept for Jesus Christ. He returns to the theme at the end of this short one chapter epistle. With a doxology that says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And he is. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. That's the God that holds on to us, who's able to present us before himself, redeemed, kept, because of his glorious majesty and power. This morning we're going to do something a little bit different. At the end of last week's message, we contrasted the two foundations. Remember, there was four sets of twos, and we got to the, the two foundations. Those who built their houses on the sand, on shaky foundations, the houses eroded. But then there were those who built their house upon the rock. Those are believers who trusted in Jesus Christ, who were relying upon him for their salvation. We're going to do something a little different because rather than a, a normal message, we're going to have... Uh, two folks come and share this morning who have decided to build their house upon the rock. And they're going to tell you their story of how Jesus got a hold of their hearts and, and lives. I, I love hearing testimonies. I want to do more of it in the days and, and uh, months and years to come. And, and just so we can hear how, how God saved and, and changed each of us. So this morning, uh, Brad Salter and Joshua Richards are going to share uh, how they came to know Jesus as their Savior. And uh, my understanding is, Brad, you get to go first? All right, come on up. Would you guys welcome Brad? Good morning. Good morning. Hopefully, in hearing my story, it'll give you encouragement for those that uh, you know that are older in life and haven't come to know the Lord. You desperately want them to uh, come to know Him. That. There's hope. Just keep up that hope and keep praying. Um, 
many, many years I didn't uh, know the Lord, and my, I didn't know, but my wife uh, was attending church. She had a group of uh, women at the church who had been praying for me. I found out after I became a believer. And uh, after um, I became a believer, there was two noticeable things that happened in my life. One, my water works open. I can try it at commercial now. I never could do that before. And I became a prolific reader. I, I don't even know if I read a book before I became a Christian. Now I've got this danger that uh, Josh or uh, Jeremiah will send me a book like every other day that I need to order and read. So and a couple weeks ago, he um, he recommended the book Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely uh, Convert. Now I'm not going to review the book, but as I opened uh, <coughs> chapter two, there's a paragraph that started in April 1999. I felt the call of Jesus upon my life. Which is interesting, because that's exactly when Jesus was calling upon my life. It was both subtle and blatant, like the peace inside the eye of a hurricane. I could in no way resist and no way understood what would come in my life. Uh, I know, I know, how do I know it was Jesus? Well, I don't, but I believed and believed that it was Jesus. I could have written that paragraph myself. So, I grew up in Stratford, Ontario. If anyone knows what Stratford is, it's the festival city. Um, today, I believe they've got seven stages where they perform Shakespearean plays. Um, in Canada, bilingual country, you have to speak English and French. I was a complete failure in French. But in Stratford, you had to also speak Shakespeare. And I never understood that. Um, period. Um, Teachers would explain to me what he was meaning by what he was saying. I couldn't understand it. But, and we had to study every year from 7th grade to grade 13. We had five, five uh, high school years. Had to study at least one Shakespearean play. I just failed miserably. <clears throat> just put that as a note. So, as, as a young child, <laughs> we lived right across from Shakespeare School. Um, there is, there's a playground in front of our uh, house, and our, the church we attended was right across the road. Every Sunday in church season, because we had a cottage, we went to the cottage from uh, early May till September. So we didn't go to church then, but we went from September um, through. Every Sunday morning we get up, we could leave at 5 to 10 because it was a two-minute walk. We still got there in lots of time. So <clears throat> as a kid, I went to church with the family. Um, I remember at 12, I was confirmed into the church, whatever that meant, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure if they thought that they had taught me about Christ, but there was nothing in my heart. Other than I, I um, memorized John 3.16, and we had to memorize the books of the Bible, Old New Testament, in sequence. And when you could do that, I was confirmed. So as a gift from my parents um, at that time, they gave me a nice leather-bound Bible. King James Version. Yes. <laughs> I still don't understand it, Tom. But to me, it, it was like Shakespeare had written the Bible, right? I mean, it was like, I don't get this. So I, it sat on my nightstand for a bit. Then it made it to the drawer. And then it made it to my keepsake box. Never opened it again as a teenager. Um, we, we went to, it was a small church. Uh, there were... No other boys that I recall around my age that even went to the church. No other witness at all. So, um, 
we, we lived in a small, small, it was probably 800 square feet. My bedroom was right at the back by the bathroom. Old house, every time somebody flushed the toilet, turned on top, the pipes would clank and everything. So Sunday morning, seven people in the house, right? Um, five or four sisters, myself, my parents. Everybody's getting ready. I couldn't sleep. The bathroom's going constantly, right? My bedroom's right there. I hear every pipe going. So I was always an early riser. But one, one Sunday morning, I decided, I've had enough of this getting dragged to church things. So I faked like I was sleeping. About a quarter of the time, my mother comes in, Brad, Brad, you gotta get up. It's time to go to church. So, uh, oh, oh, sorry, I just woke up. So, um, faked that. And then so I waited till about uh, five to 10 to drag myself out of bed, which I knew was too late. So I knew I was gonna hear about this when my mother comes home from church, right? As soon as I saw that they had committed that they were walking to the church, I got up, I cleaned the house, I vacuumed, I dusted, I did all the dishes, I made my bed. My mother comes home and says, well, thank you, that was great. So I manipulated to no longer ask me to go to church on Sunday. So that, that was the way I basically go to church, which wasn't doing anything for me at the time, but I'm sure it planted some seeds. Um, <clears throat> from there on, don't know that I ever really attended church much, uh, other than, of course, Christmas and Easter. Occasionally, downtime, we'd, we'd make it, or I'd make it with family. Um, remember, remember in high school, there was one buddy of mine. We used to be at a, a local pool hall. Stratford was a big hockey town. On Saturday night, we'd go to watch hockey. And uh, he, he would, uh, buddy would say, we would say we're ready to go to the game, and he would say, wait, wait, I got something I got to do. He, he was Catholic, so they had mass on Saturday night. So he would run over to church, make sure the priest saw him, make sure a couple people saw him that could tell his parents that he was there. And grab, I don't know if it was a bolt, but he grabbed something with the date on it. So, so now I can, I remember, well, that's kind of fake. So didn't make a lot of impression. Jump way forward, 1996. <clears throat> we were living in Northern Ontario. I moved in with my um, new partner in business while I was waiting with the family uh, down to uh, Hartman. They were Jewish. So, okay, well, I don't know anything about uh, Judaism or anything. I didn't do nothing about religion really at the time. But I remember first or second day I was there, they got a whole lot of rules when it comes to food, right? Two different drawers of utensils. And we're gonna, I forget, we're gonna have meat or you can't combine meat and cheese and whatever. So and I opened the wrong drawer to get a, a knife out. And it was like, whoa. So what I learned was I went to the drawer or the cupboard where they had uh, disposable plates and cutlery. So that's the easiest way to do it. Yet I go out with my uh, partner and we go to like Burger King or something. He'd order a bacon cheeseburger. I was like, wait a minute, you can't eat this in your home, but you can eat it when you love. Like, what's the deal with that? It didn't seem very real. <clears throat> uh, we moved, and I'm, I'm sure the Lord brought me to the United States so that I could come to know him, but it was never going to happen in Canada. Um, in 1989, we were living over in the uh, United States. I got a call one afternoon or evening, one of my sisters telling me that my uncle Russ had died. And I thought, well, why didn't he call me and let me know? I mean, they'd already gone to the funeral. I said, well, we thought you were too busy with work. You wouldn't be able to make it over. So I made, made it clear to them that um, you need to let me know if somebody dies so I can make the choice. Um, I always thought a lot of my Uncle Russ and Aunt Cheryl because they were always doing things for their community. Uh, boy, some things like 
they had a house at one time where people coming out of a mental institution, as we called it back then, trying to work their way in society. They actually lived with them in the house. I went there one time, I couldn't stand it for like a, an hour. It was very tough, but they did that. They did meals on wheels or whatever that version was. So just in my heart, I had a respect for them. So uh, let's see, jump forward now. So there's, I, I've really not paid any attention to religion whatsoever. Um, so he explained it when I was a kid, but nothing beyond that. Uh, 1998, um, my daughter and wife come to me. My daughter wants to go on a mission trip to Mexico. I've got no idea what a mission trip is, but they had to ask for some money. So they explained it. Um, I said, sure. So we did that. My daughter went on a mission trip. Um, 1998 was also the Red Wings had won back to back. Now understand, growing up in southern Ontario, we were either a Toronto Maple Leaf or Montreal Canadian fan. I was neither. Um, and I always made sure everybody knew that. So we had a family reunion, what we call Christmas in July of 1998. Or Red Wings are run back to back Stanley Cups, you know, the car flags you put on. Um, I drove into the parking lot that family reunion with a car flag and all four windows just hooting and, you know, just putting it right in the face of all the Canadian and Maple Leaf fans. So, um, I like to do that. Um, so, my Aunt Shirley was there. She had uh, multiple sclerosis at the time. She could barely, she moved her arms a little bit, but not much more. So, uh, Saturday afternoon, they're getting to leave and they're going to pull out of the parking lot. And she rolls down the window while I was sitting in the front seat. She goes, Bram, Bram. I guess she goes, I'm a Red Wings fan. So <laughs> I go, Oh, wait, wait. My, my cousin Bob was driving. I said, Bob, wait. So I ran over to the car and grabbed all those flags off the car and handed it to her, right? So last thing I see is her pulling out of the parking lot, waving this Red Wings fan, right? The last time I saw her. So I had that memory. Um, Christmas of 1998, we'd been shopping, went to our Costco, and as we were walking out, we saw uh, there was leather jackets all for the Detroit teams. I told my kids uh, I'll buy them one for Christmas if they want. My daughter came home that night and said, Dad, rather than do that, rather than buy me a jacket, we give money to a mission agency that she went down on a trip. I, Okay. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. My son says, I'll take hers. So, <laughs> um, so there's these little influences going on. Um, come to April of 1999, paragraph in the book. It called my aunt Shirley, it's passed away. So, okay, we need, need to go over to the uh, funeral. Um, as we, we got there Sunday afternoon, walked into the funeral home, my um, one cousin, older cousin, it, it was just bizarre. When I walked in, she gave me a big hug. She was so happy I was there. My, uh, her husband took me aside and said, she didn't think you were gonna make it because you didn't come to Uncle Russell's funeral. So I thought, oh, you know, I never explained why I wasn't there. I didn't know. Um, so the day of the funeral, it's raining. And I remember as we're walking into the funeral home, I've had no interest in religion my entire life, really. Some seeds planted, but that's it. I remember walking into that funeral home and <laughs> I looked up and said, Lord, it shouldn't be raining on the day of my, of my aunt's funeral. Um, I don't know that I've ever prayed before in my life. 
other than the Lord's Prayer, which I memorized, it's in a group or something. So we went in, the funeral, we come out, it's still raining. Um, and again, I said, Lord, this just isn't right. It should be raining on my aunt's on the day of my aunt's funeral. So we had about a half hour ride to uh, go to the cemetery. And as we're um, going around this big, big bend in the road, I'm, I'm about 15, 20 cars back from the procession, but there's a big meadow, big bend. And uh, <laughs> I said, Lord, if you'll let the sun shine on my aunt one more time before she's buried, I commit I'll go to church on Sunday. And without a word of a lie, that first lit up in the sun. And as the sun looked back, well, I had a moonroof in the car, I looked up through that moonroof, the sun in blue sky was dead center in the middle of the moonroof. And I went, wow, and it just closed right up. So, I went, uh-oh. Lord knew the word commit to me was a very important word. So, uh, I now am trying to figure out how am I going to get church. I didn't want to tell Cindy, I didn't want to make him, I committed to go to one Sunday, so. Through the week, I figured out what kind of service was. I made the test run to the church, found where it was, and how long it was going to take. Got up just before it was time to leave, jumped up, got dressed, and went to church on my own. At 8.45 on April 25th, 1999, the pastor who was leading the service says, um, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know the Lord uh, and is a sinner, you need to ask him into their heart. I said, that's me. That's why I'm here. So that's how I came to know the Lord. Just prayed right at that moment, Lord, entering into my heart. And it's happening right now. But as that happened, I felt like my skin, the hair on my arms was just tingling. Something changed immediately. So, so I go home and Cindy says, well, after we, she said, what happened? I said, I think I became a Christian today. So, <laughs> so no idea what that meant. Um, real quick, because we got to get Joshua up here, but uh, the next week he came to service. Uh, the sermon was on being a sinner and pornography. I, I thought I knew what pornography was, but um, didn't know. I went home went through VCR tapes to tell me how old it was. I saw some tapes that were like X-rated or R-rated or something, and the pastor said there's going to be bins thrown in it. I came and threw those in the next week, so I got to get that out of my life. The week after that, the sermon was on the tongue and abusive language. Um, Without a word of a lie, my, my fact, as a matter of fact, I had to apologize to my wife about it because I had, uh, had used the Lord's name, uh, name in vain many times. But um, I went into the plant. What was acceptable Friday wasn't acceptable Monday morning. And uh, I had a guy come into my office, start talking. I said, wait, we don't talk like that anymore here. I said, I've become a Christian. We don't talk that way. And, and within a few weeks, the whole plant had... Uh, starting to do that. And then the, uh, well, the fourth week, there was a sermon on tithing, right? Here's a guy who, I was thinking of how we were going to put my Corvette coming up. And all of a sudden, I need to start giving a tenth, the first tenth. So just that's just the way the Lord started to work right away. So I, I didn't realize the minute I said that I was coming to the Lord, that was starting to work up my salvation. So that's my start. I need to turn it over to Joshua. <laughs> I, I was 43 at the time I came to know the Lord. All right. Thanks, Brad. <laughs> well, that was the PG version. <laughs> Let's see if uh, I can tone mine down to a PG-13. <laughs> um, I prepared some things. I'm probably going to go off script. Um, so I started this. Like many Americans today, 
I was born into a Christian life. My parents' parents said that they were Christians, and my parents said that they were Christians, so ex facto, I was Christian. When I was very young, we went to church. I was in Awanas. I memorized verses and stuff. They put up little felt board presentations and told stories, and I got in trouble a lot for being loud and obnoxious. Uh, it didn't really do much for me. Uh, it seemed to me like Hercules and Thor and Paul Bunyan and John Henry were all kind of on par with this Jesus character. It seemed all the same to me. Um, I believe it was something to do with dancing or Bob Seger, something like that. We stopped going to the church. So I grew up pretty much godless. I <clears throat> went about my life doing exactly what I wanted, and that suited me just fine because I was never very good at people telling me what I can and cannot do. Um, <clears throat> to say that it was an easy life would be a lie. Um, <clears throat> we had my grandparents come and live in my house as my grandmother died of Lou Gehrig's disease. I remember being about 12 years old, cleaning her trach out and helping her up off of the toilet because she had to be in a wheelchair. Uh, and then my mom was very heavy set. She wound up having uh, bariatric surgery. She had both of her knees replaced. So she had a lot of problems going on. And then she was diagnosed with disassociative identity disorder. So <clears throat> she had what used to be called multiple personalities. That made for an interesting childhood uh, filled. Of course, Grandma didn't last very long. She died, Mom got worse. Uh, lots of death, mental disease, things like that. That was going on. So um, <clears throat> I guess to cope with that, what I went to uh, was drugs <coughs> and alcohol. And that seemed to, to suit me just fine because, well, you know, rock and roll. And everybody in rock and roll, drugs and alcohol, that's where it's at. Um, and really that's, uh, like after, um, so my mom struggled with the multiple, uh, multiple personality disorder for just long enough to get ALS herself and, uh, die one month after I turned 21. So, <clears throat> my mom's dead, I'm legally allowed to drink. Hello, alcoholism. That was me for quite some time. Uh, spiritually... I found that what suited me best was, since I didn't really believe in any sort of creator God or any, you know, Christianity or anything of that nature, it's kind of a pick and choose your own religion, right? So I picked and chose what fit me best since my folks were from Scandinavia. I said, well, clearly I'm a Viking. So I will be a Norse pagan and wear a Thor's hammer and get drunk all the time. That seemed, uh, that seemed to fit my lifestyle just fine. <laughs> um, but then, uh, I don't know, I guess it just, uh, thing, that doesn't really fill, fill the hole. I said, well, you know, this isn't, this isn't quite rock and roll enough. So I started uh, dabbling in Satanism as that was just a little bit darker, a little bit more evil. And everything that was macabre and evil 
was just right up my alley. I couldn't get enough. I'm, you know, <clears throat> getting drunk and watching horror movies. That was that was my go-to for uh, a fun Saturday night. <clears throat> and that was that that was that way for uh, for quite some time. Let's see, and then of course uh, when I got married, my wife. Uh, she kind of tried to put, point me in a lighter direction. It's all of the things that I used to write and draw pictures of are very dark. Lots of lots of uh, goblins and demons and things like that. I mean, I was the king of Halloween. I I, I kind of based my entire year around Halloween. Coming around, how many Halloweens? That's how many years. <clears throat> and and that worked for a short time. I. I actually was, uh, I picked up a Bible, because uh, I had just gone through a real messy breakup and stuff, and I started seeing my wife, and, well, she would become my wife later. <laughs> but uh, I started reading the Bible, and, you know, I, I had a King James, and I'm going through there, and I'm picking out things like, I came not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. I'm like, well, this is going in the ammunition bank. I will be using this against every Christian that I talked to for, and I, of course, uh, got Facebook and started uh, <laughs> trying to seek out people that were uh, of the Christian bend and let them know how terribly, terribly mistaken they were. Like, why, why are you being held back by this imaginary sin thing? That's nonsense. Do whatever you like. As the uh, Satanists will tell you, do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Well, the thing is, <clears throat> I was espousing all of this and doing all these things, and meanwhile, I was becoming a big, fat drunk. <laughs> I was 31, and I was about 330 pounds. I was drinking every single day. I said, man, you're going to die. You need to stop doing that. So I did. I stopped drinking, and I started lifting weights, and the first year I lost about 100 pounds. And I was just like, this is this the way to go. During that time, my political bend went a little bit to the right. So the people that I was listening to politically seemed to have one thread in common with one another. The God of the Bible. Like, well... That doesn't make sense, because I'm espousing this Satanist do-whatever-you-want business, but at the same time, I'm pro-life. I believe taxation is theft. This doesn't line up. Maybe I should look into this a little bit more. And then I listened to Dr. Jordan Peterson's lecture series on the psychological significance of the biblical stories. But this guy knows what he's talking about. He's not even a Christian or anything. I listened to that and I said, you know, maybe there's more importance to this than I gave it credit for. So I went down to the basement, grabbed the old King James, wiped the dust off it, and set it down and never picked it up. Um, I listened to an interview on the Ben Shapiro show with a doctor of mathematics. And he was talking about intelligent design. And I'm like, okay, so it's mathematically impossible 
for all of this to come by rapid, rap, you know, random happenstance, maybe I should pick up that Bible and see what all these guys are saying. Well, I pick it up. Genesis 1-1, King James. Yeah, I've heard this before. Whatever. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. Okay. We've all heard this. Set it back down. Maybe pick up the, you know, maybe the New Testament. Maybe that'll be more, more readable. New Testament. Open the page. The Gospel according to Matthew. Beget, 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 beget. Be done with reading that. Alright. There's got to be a better way to read this. Let's look on the internet. What does the internet have to say? The internet says, how about the revised standard version? Okay, that's, that's a reliable source that is easier to read. Great. Where do I get that? Go down to Walmart get one of them? No. They do not sell the revised standard version of the Bible at Walmart. So, <laughs> where do I get to read that? Well, apparently, the internet, again, rescues the day and says, download this Bible app. We have all of the translations. Oh, okay. So I download the Bible app. And I'm looking at the difference in translations. Well, now, how do I know what the differences are if I don't know the verse? What's well, the only verse that I know? John 3.16, right? If you've ever watched sports in your life, you've seen a John 3.16 poster. Everyone knows what that says, so I pull it up. John 3.16 on King James. And then I look at it at the RSV, and I'm like, that's eh, really not that much different. It's just kind of, you know... A little bit more modern English, but then I realized on the King James, there's a little play button down at the bottom. Oh, it's going to read it to me. Perfect. Let's try that. So I'm going into the gym one morning, and I decide, well, instead of listening to my normal uh, death metal, maybe I'll give this, this Gospel of John a listen. So, as I'm walking into the gym, if anybody in here has the version Bible app, yeah. you've ever listened to King James? The Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As I'm walking in, I don't know what I did in that gym, but as I was walking out, Immediately after John, Acts plays, Acts 2, Paul's giving his sermon, or Peter's giving his sermon at Pentecost. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh boy, when I got done with that lift, I never felt heavier in my entire life. It was like the entire weight of all of the sins and all of the mistakes that I had ever made were crushing me. Like, wow, this is not a good feeling at all. <clears throat> so again, I turned to the internet and really I've never stopped since this day. I'm on every YouTube channel I can find to get as much information as I possibly can. I'm listening to the Bible be read to me while I'm driving. I ordered a new Bible that I could read. I ordered another Bible, reading the Bible every day, <clears throat> praying every day, nonstop, can't get it out of my mind. All that 
I could ever think of anymore is how grateful I am that he could reach into my life and say, yeah, I know you've been messing up for all of this, but you could turn it around today. You could stop right now. As a matter of fact, I died so that you could be forgiven. Whoa, thank you. Thank you for that. That is the best news that I have ever heard. And, you know, what, what do you do with that news? Well, you go and you find a church, and then you find another church, and you find another church, and you say, I thought there was going to be a baptism. What happened here? When Philip was talking to the eunuch, I imagine in a very desertous location, the eunuch said, hey, look, there's some water. They didn't wait. They didn't wait for a, a special time. I happened to walk into this church the day that there was a big giant bulletin that said, we're doing baptisms. I said, oh, how, how fortuitous. <laughs> so I went and talked to Jeremiah, and within five minutes, he said, yeah, come next week. We're doing it. And, well, here I have been ever since. Because we're, we rejoice in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we cling to the cross of Jesus. You notice that neither of these guys shared that they, they got their act together and they worked hard enough and now they believe that God has accepted them because of what they've done. Both these men are resting upon the work of Jesus Christ, that he has died on the cross as their substitute. And through faith, he is their anchor. The rock. And today we get to celebrate communion, uh, the Lord's table, that takes us back to reflect upon that cross. To go back in gratitude and worship and to glorify God for what he has done in sending Jesus to die for sinners. Sinners like Joshua and Brad and me and you. And if, if you're someone who has trusted Jesus as your Savior, 
place your faith in him, we want to invite you to celebrate communion with us. If you haven't done so before, I just want to tell you what to expect in a few moments here as we pray. We have some communion servers that will help us. They're just going to spread out here in the front. Our worship team will come up and start singing a song and leading us in worship. And Just come up out of your seat and pick a line. And as you get in line, just break off a piece of bread and dip it into the juice um, and partake right there. If you'd like to have an individual communion cup, um, or we also have some gluten-free bread, if you need that, you can come right here to the center station. Um, if you're unable to make it forward, we always like to remind you, just, just slip up your hand, and uh, we'll have someone bring it to you towards the end, uh, and uh, make sure that you can still have communion with us, even if you, uh, you can't physically come up to the front. I also like to let you know that uh, the first Sunday of every month we take up a benevolence offering uh, for those in our church who have special needs come up, some, you know, maybe you're going through some financial difficulties. Uh, that's our opportunity to help them out. The, the normal gifts that you give in the offering boxes on the back wall, that goes toward our operating expenses and different ministries that we're involved in. But this on the first Sunday, the, these baskets up front here will go directly to help those, those who are in need. I hope you were blessed by getting to hear Brad and Joshua and that you were encouraged by, by their stories and maybe there was some, some portion of their story that just really resonated with you. Uh, I'm just going to pray that God's Spirit would encourage you or challenge you, uh, maybe not to give up praying for someone you've been praying for for a large, long time, someone that you think is too far away from God to be rescued, a hopeless cause. Maybe you yourself even feel like a hopeless cause. You've done too much. You've gone too far. These guys have reminded us through their stories that no one is beyond the reach of a loving God and his grace. Let's just take a moment and bow our heads right where you are, just in the quiet of your heart. Thank God for what Jesus has done upon the cross. Let's bow in prayer. of so many of the Psalms where David over and over again will repeat that he wants to declare to proclaim your steadfast love. He was a man who loved to talk about what you had done in his life, what he had seen. And Lord, I thank you for Brad and Joshua's willingness today to declare what you've done in their hearts and lives. Father, stir our hearts to do the same, to go forth, to, to share it with our kids, co-workers, with people we like, people we don't like, people that, that we just seek out in the leading of your spirit, others that we can declare your glory, your greatness, and the amazing things that you have done. In our rock, the rock upon which we build our house is Jesus Christ. And not in, a, not in a vague way, but in a very specific way, because Jesus went to the cross for our sins. God, we thank you for giving your son. And he might die in our place. Bread and the juice this morning represent his body and blood.
broken and poured out for us, for our sin. God, we worship you that you raised him from the dead three days later. That you are powerful to save. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, God, I pray that our hearts would just be flooded with worship, with joy, with adoration. The one who saves. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 